welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast hosted by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today, we are announcing the release of an eight-part learning series co-hosted by FMEP and the Middle East Institute. The webinar series takes a deep dive into key topics of U.S. Congress's relationship with Israel and the Palestinians. Each session features expert panels breaking down complex issues like USAID, Palestinian governance, BDS and free speech, and refugees and the role of UNRWA. You can access this series, which includes webinar recordings and resource lists on the FMEP website, fmep.org. To mark the public release of this new resource, FMEP's Lara Friedman and MEI's Khaled Al-Gindi were interviewed for the Middle East Institute's podcast, which we are rebroadcasting here. So without further ado, I'll kick it over to Alistair Taylor at MEI. Welcome to Middle East Focus. I'm Alistair Taylor, MEI's editorial director, and today we're going to be talking with Khaled Al-Gindi and Lara Friedman about the launch of their congressional teaching series entitled Israel-Palestine, Where We Are, What Comes Next, and Why It Matters to Congress. Before we get any further, I'd like to introduce today's guests properly. Khaled Al-Gindi is a senior fellow at MEI, where he also directs its program on Palestine and Palestinian-Israeli affairs. He's also the author of the 2019 book, Wine Spot, America and the Palestinians, From Balfour to Trump. Our Friedman is the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. With more than 25 years working in the Middle East foreign policy arena, she's a leading authority on U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, with particular expertise on the Israeli-Arab conflict, Israeli settlements, Jerusalem, and the role of the U.S. Congress. Khaled, Lara, welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Great to be here. Lara, to start off with, can you give our listeners a, a brief introduction to the series? What does it involve, and, and how did it come about? Sure. And and I'm really happy we're on this conversation. This The series came out of really a set of conversations that Khaled and I have been having over the past few years. You know, Khaled's book um, is, is very much about this issue of, you know, why Israel-Palestine matters to Congress. It's something that I've worked on as a matter of, you know, following U.S. foreign policy for years. And, you know, we have done a tremendous amount of programming together for the general public, particularly since COVID started with all the webinars and really bringing an amazing talent, amazing voices and, and, and just ideas, I think, to a broader population. And we've been talking about this a lot, this, this question of how you get real insight, uh, new voices, new ideas into the, the space where policymakers are, are doing their thinking. It's really what I think was the catalyst for, for this program for Congress. So if I could just piggyback on what on what Laura said, I think there are very few issues and conflicts in which the United States is as intimately involved uh, as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict on so many levels. You know, the special relationship with Israel runs very deep uh, and, and is quite old. And yet, at the same time, we've seen very few, you know, very few successes on the, on uh, in terms of the United States' role in bringing about Israeli-Palestinian peace of, of any sort. And I think there's this growing realization, including on Capitol Hill, that we need to think differently about this issue and probably even act differently uh, if we're if we're going to make any progress uh, at all. And so I think that part of the, the motivation for putting this series together. Khaled, there's a particularly big need for, for education on this issue, as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, is often viewed through a distorted lens, especially here in the U.S. What, in your view, are the most kind of common and most important misconceptions on this front? 
Yeah, there are so many misconceptions um, and faulty assumptions when it comes to this issue, uh, you know, among uh, American officials and, and particularly, I would say, on, on Capitol Hill for the reason that you suggested. They're, they're more accustomed to hearing uh, one sort of set of narrow perspectives uh, to the exclusion of others. And I, and I think where there is especially a need or where there is the most kind of misperceptions is with regard to the, the Palestinians. Um, I think a lot of American officials, a lot of congressional staffers have, in some cases, a very in-depth knowledge of Israeli society and politics and history and culture. Um, there's tremendous exposure to multiple sources of information uh, about Israel from a range of different perspectives. Um, but there's really a lack of knowledge, really, when it comes to Palestinians and their their history, their politics, their aspirations uh, politically. And more often than not, those are typically seen through a distinctly Israeli lens because of the kinds of information that that most congressional staffers are exposed to on a on a regular basis. And so, uh, you know, that's, again, you know, why the, we felt this this teaching was really important to provide a broader spectrum of perspectives that they might not otherwise be hearing from. And if I could just add something to that, the the thing that's, I mean, struck me for years um, in, in the Washington scene is how much discussion you have about the Palestinians, but generally often not centering actual Palestinian voices. Um, it's as if there's a lot of experts on the Palestinians, but if it's a Palestinian, they're not seen as an expert. They're seen as an advocate or a plaintiff or, or somehow not, not a real source of expertise. And I think what we, we did and what we sought to do with this, this program, it, it wasn't only Palestinian voices, but we really did, um, I, I think, a really good job bringing in truly expert Palestinian voices who, you know, as soon as it's not like you have to make the case for their expertise. They make it themselves because they're so good. But voices that generally, I think, people on the Hill are not exposed to. They're exposed to people talking about them. And, and to sort of start shifting the way policymakers think about this to actually put Palestinian voices, Palestinian experts into the center of that discussion. Uh, as I've gotten older and sort of thought about how this all works, I think one of the I've come to realize, I think one of the reasons the situation on U.S. policy is so problematic is because we haven't um, centered Palestinian voices this whole time. So I think a lot of a lot of our effort here was to to, to change that um, and, and have a very different kind of discussion. Laura, following up on that, why is this such an important issue for Congress, especially now? Well, I mean, as Khaled said, I mean, this is an issue that's important for Congress because, I mean, this is a major U.S. foreign policy. Congress has a key role in foreign policy making because of the power of the purse strings. Obviously, this is you know, that constant fight between an executive and, and the legislature in the U.S. on who's running things. But in Israel-Palestine, Congress has always played a key role. Historically, this goes you know, before the Trump era, that role was generally um, in the form of putting the brakes on or trying to put limits on what um, an executive would do if that executive was inclined to try to promote peace or be conciliatory towards the Palestinians or, or whatnot. In the Trump era, that, that flipped because, of course, the Trump administration was further out in front in a very aligned with the fur far right inside Israel, the far sort of the, the greater Israel folks. 
But Congress plays a key role. It plays a role in legislating virtually every facet of the U.S. relationship with the Palestinians, generally in a negative way, what you can't do in conditions and limits and restrictions and and vetting and and reporting, Um, and occasionally in a positive way. If you consider things like providing aid positive, which I think can be very positive, but it, it's a central role, and it's 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 a role that is exercised in this foreign policy arena to a degree that Congress does not exercise its role in any other foreign policy issue. Yeah, if, if I could just uh, just to add to that, you know, it's the Israel Palestine is one of the the you know obviously. Congress deals with a whole range of foreign policy issues. They play a key role, as as Laura said. But I think when it comes to Israel-Palestine, they play an even more kind of disproportionate role. They definitely pay, play an outsized role. And unlike the executive branch, where there has always been at least the pretense of attempting to be not necessarily balanced, but attempting to be an effective broker, if not uh, an even-handed one. Congress has never really had that sort of that pretense. They've been quite clear consistently over the years where, uh, where th- what direction things ought to go. You will find uh, members of Congress and staffers uh, very often get upset when you use words terms like being even-handed uh, with with the two sides. They don't want to be even-handed. They want to be quite uh, distinct in their, in their sort of pro-Israel posture. And what often happens as a result is it creates a kind of hostility towards, uh, towards all things Palestinian. And, you know, as Laura said, Congress ends up playing the role, or at least at certain key moments in history, has played the role essentially of a spoiler in some cases where, uh, you know, looking back in the 1990s, for example, when when a mostly Republican controlled Congress uh, worked hand in glove with opponents of the Oslo process to try and essentially, if not halt the process, at least weigh it down with so many conditions and so many obstacles that it became dysfunctional or, or non-functional. Uh, and so, you know, Congress really plays uh, an outsized role on this issue in particular. Khalid, what has the response been like to this this series so far? How much how much interest has there been from from Congress in engaging on this? Yeah, yeah, we had a, you know we generally had a really good turnout in person, and we had a, a, a an even better turnout in uh, in the number of views uh, of you know the number of staffers who are watching videos after the fact. Um, so there's clearly a thirst for for information uh, and and new voices and new perspectives. Um, and one thing I you know one thing that I found especially gratifying is when we would see the same names over and over in in each of the sessions, uh, and it it shows you know people were making this commitment at least in some cases on on a weekly basis to tune in each and every week. Uh, and so there really is, I think, a thirst for for new sources of information. And also, I mean, we had some really positive things that we hadn't expected. I I received a, an email midway through from from someone who had actually spoken to a member of Congress and had mentioned the the series, and the member was very excited and said, you know, send us the links. I want my staff to watch. You know, we we didn't initially 
when we came up with this whole idea for this initiative, the idea wasn't necessarily to make it available to the general public, but what we saw as as it went on and, and you know, staffers were sharing the links with the public, so we were getting feedback that way. One link went out and was uh, the entire webinar was actually um, broadcast as a, as a podcast on a university radio station. Um, we, we, we sort of throughout the period that this was going on got more and more of a hint that there was a, a real hunger for this. Um, and it was um, it, not just on the Hill and that, that was quite validating. Laura, recent polling suggests that for the first time, a majority of Democrats now want to see the U.S. put more pressure on Israel to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. How do you see the environment within Congress changing, and, and what impact is that likely to have going forward? No, I don't. I don't have an easy answer for that. I think you know the. I think at a at a at a basic level, this is going to have it's going to reflect how constituents are dealing with their members. And, you know, if members start to hear more from their constituents that they, you know, at a, at a grassroots level, these are the people that they're accountable to want them to, to be more forthright or more even handed or whatever you want to say, I think you'll start seeing more change on the Hill. We clearly have, you know, a, a larger um, group of more progressive and there, there's a larger larger group on the particularly in the house right now than we've had i think ever that that do see this issue in more nuanced terms that are that are not afraid to to show sympathy and empathy for palestinians as well as for israelis which is quite shocking that that should seem to be something that would be hard to do but you know i tend to think that that we are on a trajectory you know it, it's harder and harder for people to not know or pretend they don't know what's happening and as we've had now more than a decade of a situation on the ground where the israeli government the israeli israeli body politic is moving further and further away from even a pretense of wanting to have peace and a two-state solution and all of that it, it's harder for people to make excuses for you know situations like we have on the ground today vis-a-vis covid where you know israel is now coming out of covid completely while the west bank and gaza are are just reeling they're being devastated by covid and they're under occupation those facts are are, are feel more blatant um, and in parallel you have you know israeli human rights groups now talking about apartheid you know the the the, the situation has evolved on the ground to a place where i think it is harder for members of Congress to sort of close themselves off from um, criticism of Israel. And, you know, it, is, it isn't really enough anymore just to say, well, I support the two-state solution, don't ask me anything else. And, and I mean, certainly, you know, a, a panel, the sort of voices that our series brought to the Hill, uh, it, you know, our intention isn't to, to promote any specific piece of legislation. We're not lobbying. That isn't what, that's not what this is about. But it, it is about, you know, saying, all right, th- these issues have become more and more, you know, difficult and, 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 and morally challenging. You know, you need to know more. Where you end up is where you end up. But you need to know more. And, and we're going to try to make that easy for you. Yeah. And, and on that question of the political trends and how things are, are changing, I think that's true and it's clear. The trends are clear, but that hasn't necessarily translated into, you know, the change in the politics hasn't translated yet into a change in policy. And if anything, in a lot of ways, the space for policy debate has narrowed over you know, there's kind of this paradox that as more and more people have become, even on the Hill, uh, maybe especially on the Hill, have become more attuned to 
Palestinian aspirations, to Palestinian suffering, to Palestinian grievances and concerns and history. At the very same time that that's been happening, there's been a narrowing of the space uh, of, of, of what is considered acceptable discourse, uh, which is also one of the topics that we uh, tackled in, in the teach-in. This is precisely one of the reasons why we, we, uh, we wanted to put something like this together is because we're not seeing, you know, hearings, for example, on, on these issues. Uh, how is Israel handling the, the COVID crisis with regard to its own citizens versus the, pop, the population that it occupies? In a normal, I think, setting, that would be a, a question for uh, for a congressional hearing, given the amount of aid uh, that uh, that Israel gets from from the United States. The question of Israel's use of American-made weapons and and other uh, materials in in sort of enforcing the occupation and potential human rights abuses. These are other kinds of questions. Um, you know, the future of a two-state solution, all of these questions Congress is not holding hearings on, um, uh, despite, you know, the sort of rhetorical support we hear for, for two states. Um, and uh, so this was a way to to help uh, kind of fill that void and, and, if possible, maybe even nudge in the direction of, you know, maybe someday there will be uh, hearings on these very same questions. Khaled, what are some of the the key themes that came out of this series and what, what struck you the most in listening to these episodes? Honestly, what struck me the most is how much I myself learned from, from each of these sessions. You know, Laura and I, uh, we think of ourselves as experts on, uh, on these issues, you know, but, but I, you know, I learned an enormous amount and, you know, it was, uh, I think, uh, a reminder of of just how important it is to have uh, these kinds of resources available uh, for for especially people on the hill who don't have you know the in depth background that that Laura and I and others might have and, and I think the fact that people uh, were were sort of tuning in on a regular basis suggests that they you know they feel the same you know that this was filling an important uh, niche for them. I agree. I, I would also say, I mean, a couple of things were striking for me as we were putting this together. One is that, I mean, we had, you know, part of this is, is, you know, the COVID webinar era. Now that we're doing these things virtually as, you know, we have, instead of being limited to the experts who are either, you know, who, who live locally or can be brought in, we can bring people from the entire world. And it really is almost an embarrassment of riches. There are so many brilliant people. It was an incredible effort <laughs> to choose and to, to pick voices to, to put on each of these panels because there are so many great voices. I wish we could have, you know, I hope we can do more of these in the future. Um, and then it was also striking to me, I mean, we had people on several of these, these sessions, people who I'd met or, or talked to, but I'd never heard them speak. And yes, learning from them because, you know, we're all learning all the time and it, it's, it's really just humbling the, the more you do this. But really, the, the, the extraordinary insights that, that, that these people have. And, you know, one of my hopes that what comes out of this session for The Hill is that we have introduced staffers and, and brought to them um, a whole list of experts that they probably had never heard of who now they can talk to. 
um, who now they can go to. They don't need us as mediators if they're looking for someone to talk about, you know, younger Palestinians and, and the Palestinian political scene or refugees in the Gaza Strip or, you know, the, the some complex issues related to aid, whatever. We have now introduced them to a, a, an entire cohort of really brilliant people. And those those people really are just the tip of the iceberg. Following up on that, Laura, what do you hope that this series and other efforts like it can can help to achieve above and beyond what you you just said? Look, I mean, first and foremost, I I doggedly continue to believe that that facts matter and that the more you know, the better the better decisions you'll make and the better recommendations you'll give to your boss or whatever. I actually know also that that isn't entirely true and facts don't necessarily win the day, but I, I have to keep believing it helps. So, I mean, just getting more information out there, getting better analysis, not just the same stale five or six Washington voices that always are referenced by journalists or show up on every panel. And and really starting to, I don't say train, that sounds disrespectful, but I mean, really starting to train people that when they're talking about Israel-Palestine, they talk not just to Israelis and not just Americans who are largely in the pro-Israel camp, but they talk to actual Palestinians. You know, it should be a, a matter of principle that if you are talking about Israel-Palestine, you have Palestinian voices as the people talking about the Palestinian experience, Palestinian aspirations, Palestinian internal thinking, whatever. I mean, you shouldn't be talking about Palestinians. You should be talking with Palestinians and listening to Palestinians and also listening to an array of Israeli voices and international voices. We're trying to, to, to teach by example here in a sense. We're running short on time, but before we wrap up, any final thoughts? I'm thrilled that we were able to pull this off. I think it was, uh, you know, like Lara said, it was, it was a lot of work um, to do this uh, week in and week out. For, for eight weeks, um, and and still there are probably three or four or five or more topics that I think Laura and I both feel we could have probably added um, that could have been uh, sessions unto themselves, and and maybe that's something we'll we'll uh, think about doing in the future. But I just think it's it's really important to have this resource out there for congressional staffers uh, for their bosses. For the public at large, uh, for for students, for professors, I mean, this is a great resource. I think not just for policymakers, but for anyone who's thinking about these issues. You know, students are writing papers, graduate students, professors, you know, analysts, certainly the the broader analyst community, and, and I think it's it's a tremendously valuable resource uh, that I hope people will tap into. Yeah, and and I would say I'm just. I'm, I'm, look, I'm enormously grateful for the partnership with the Middle East Institute and Khaled. This was a pleasure. It was a lot of work, but it was just a pleasure. And I have to say, I am perpetually astonished and grateful for the generosity and the refusal to give in to, whether it's despair or hopelessness, of all of the people who participated in, in our panels, because they gave generously of their time, often at strange times for them, because we had people from, from Gaza and from, from Israel and from the West Bank and from Europe. You know, Congress has not been historically particularly sensitive to or even welcoming of these voices. And yet here they are speaking with incredible candor and, and patience. Um, and I, I, hope, I hope people listen to them. 
we'll have to leave things there for now. But Lara Khalid, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Alistair. Thanks, Alistair. Once again, the series is called Israel-Palestine, Where We Are, What Comes Next, and Why It Matters to Congress. And you can find details on how to access them in the episode notes for today's program. 